0: Set on the wrong things the amazing and overwhelming blessings of God that are offered to those who would choose him are far far more valuable than even a truckload of money aren't they the blessings of God offer us a salvation that will not disappoint us those blessings won't blow away They won't remain just out of our grasp and once given to us, we don't have to return them and they'll not be taken away from us. That is the truth of God's blessing. So we are in the middle of this introductory passage of Paul's letter to the Ephesian church and we've called this uh, whole series a crash course in Christianity and today we're looking at a crash course on God's blessings as Paul lays out for his readers the basics of our Christian faith in chapters 1 through 3 you might remember that Paul says to us remember who you are Remember whose you are and remember why you chose to follow Jesus. And so in these opening chapters, his focus is on our identity. Who are we? Because often we behave the way we behave because we think the way we think. And then in chapters four through six, Paul moves on to remind us how to live as followers of Christ, Christ, now that we have this newfound identity. And so we uh, explained last week, we explored the the first three of eight key spiritual blessings for all Christians. And those are in your program, if you got one of those today, I've filled in the first three for you. We covered those last week. And we focused on how those blessings help shape our identity. Who are we? Remember who you are. We learned what it meant that we are chosen by the father and how significant that is we celebrated the truth that we are holy and blameless we became holy and blameless when we're born again and we are in process of becoming holy and blameless until we are with the father when we will be fully holy and blameless and all of that is because of what Jesus has already accomplished on our behalf if we choose to follow him. And then finally, we were reminded of that powerful image of adoption. How awesome is it that we are adopted as sons and daughters of God our Father. Now, we've already had Nan read our scripture passage today, Ephesians one, we're looking at verses seven through 14 today. So we're just gonna jump right in, uh, in the next two, uh, and look at the next two blessings that we receive as Christ followers. Before we do that, I'm gonna try and stand up here. All right, so let's begin with blessings number three and four, and that is that we are redeemed by the Father and our sins are forgiven. That's blessings number four and five. Now that term redemption, that's an interesting term. It sounds like a a very weighty theological term, redemption. But in the first century, it was simply a, a word of trade. In the marketplace to redeem something meant to buy it and so I want you to see how Paul uses this in our passage today in in verse 7 and 8 it says in Christ we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight so The first question we want to ask is what do we have redemption through? And Paul clearly says it is through the blood of Jesus. And again, last week I I cautioned that we don't want to look at this passage through 21st century eyes, but rather through 1st century eyes, a 1st century lens. Because Paul is writing to people that are in a slave culture. Ephesus had one of the largest slave markets in the entire Roman world. In the marketplace of Ephesus, you could not only buy spices shipped in from the east or purple cloth from Thyatira or the latest fashions from Rome, but you could also go into the marketplace and buy people just on a daily basis. You could go buy a slave. It's said that between 1000 B.C. and 1000 A.D., Ephesus was one of the main slave trade centers in the entire Roman Empire and so it was there that Paul came and spent over two years of his life in the hub of the slave trade so you can imagine as he writes to this church this new Ephesian church that many of the people are coming out of slavery some of them are still slaves and they're going to church maybe some of them with their owners Think about that and the awkwardness that would take place in the church assembly. So I want us to just kind of think about this. Let's wander into a courtyard, set yourself back into the first century. There's a group of Jesus followers meeting there, including people who have been bought and sold. And you notice one gentleman and he is a slave and you ask him, who do you belong to? And he says, well, I belong to Cornelius and you ask how this happened and he says well as a baby I got dumped and some guy and his wife came and picked me up and they took me home and they raised me in their house to be their slave and I worked for them from when I was just a very young child up to the age of 13 and then one day they took me to the marketplace to the Agora we saw a picture of that last week and they sold me there in the Agora and so You then say to the man, can I ask a personal question? How much did you sell for? And he says, I was strong and young and I went for 24 pieces of silver. Cornelius came in with a bag of money and he redeemed me. He bought me. Do you see the picture there? Now, if this guy has had an encounter with the saving Christ, then Paul wants him to know that his primary identity is not that of a slave of Cornelius. There was someone else who paid for him, who bought him. So when Paul uses a term, in him we have redemption through his blood, he's saying, okay, listen, the adoption program that God used wasn't money. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was paying for your adoption and for mine. That is the cost of bringing our souls to God. Let's think about this maybe in a more way that would be, resonate with us a little more. Let's say you have a, a friend and after church one day they said, hey, we're going, a bunch of us are going out to eat. Do you want to come with us? And you say, sure, that sounds great. And so there's about 10 of you around the table. And when you sit down, you flip open the menu and you see the prices And you realize, ooh, this restaurant might not be the best place for me to belong at. And so you spend the whole meal kind of feeling uncomfortable, knowing that this one meal is going to be a budget breaker. And then at the end of the meal, you get ready to pay for your dinner. And someone says, hey, don't worry about it. The guy at the end of the table, he picked up the tab. Well, that'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? You feel suddenly relieved suddenly grateful. Now, I don't want to lower the significance of the crucifixion by this little example, but I do want you to understand the reality. Someone has already picked up the bill for you. Isn't that amazing? Christianity is not about doing enough for God so that he likes you. No. God buys us. He redeems us through Jesus' death on the cross. In him, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. And so the idea here is that God does not need to punish me for my wrongs because somebody else has already been punished for them. That's what happened at the cross. Paul was writing to a culture where people were regularly bought and sold. And he says, look, do you understand that somebody bought you? If you are a follower of Jesus, do you understand what that means? It means that you are someone's child. Someone paid for you. Someone paid for you. Now, we might be just a bit shocked that Paul uh, alludes to slaves in the church, but they existed. It was a reality. The Bible accurately reflects the culture of the time in which it was originally written. Paul doesn't support. He doesn't advocate for slavery. He just mentions it as the reality of the time in which they lived. Later on, when we get to chapter 6, Paul is going to say, slaves, he's going to have a Right in here in Ephesians, he's gonna write right to the slaves and he says, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ Jesus. You see, this is what what it means to be a people of the way. If you happen to be someone's slave, don't be belligerent, don't be rude, don't be nasty. Even if your master is a jerk, you just have to remember that someone else bought you. Your primary identity is not that you're owned by Cornelius or anyone else. Your primary identity is that the Lord Jesus Christ bought you. You are his. And if your boss isn't worthy of your hard work, your Lord is. Knowing whose you are changes your behavior. That's because, remember, we, we do what we do because we think like we think. And all Paul does is say, remember who you are. Remember whose you are. He adopted you. He redeemed you. Let's say that, those words together right now. He paid for me. He adopted me. Isn't that wonderful? He paid for me. He adopted me. Wow. By the way, The very next phrase expands on this image of redemption. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. For redemption to happen, forgiveness must happen. Whenever a wrong of any kind occurs, there is always a debt that must be paid. Forgiveness means that Jesus has absorbed that debt himself. It's not that there still isn't a debt, it's just that now the debt has been placed on him, and he has chosen to forgive it. And friends, it wasn't a theoretical cost. It was a physical cost. It required the shedding of blood. Jesus shed his blood to redeem us and forgive us. That's what we did today as we celebrated the Lord's Supper. We were reminded of the blood of Jesus. And so we are redeemed we are forgiven and the blessing number six we are part of God's plan our redemption our forgiveness flows right into this next blessing those who choose to follow Christ become a part of God's plan for the whole world take a look at verse nine making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, things on earth. Now, in the New Testament, this word mystery is a great word. We use it as a, something that's kind of a, a murky idea, hard to figure out, kind of a whodunit. We can't always fully understand it. But in the first century, they understood the mystery was something that was formerly hidden but it's now revealed. The curtain has been pulled back. The curtain's pulling back, and there we see the mystery being revealed. And according to our verses here in verse 9 and 10, God has blessed us by revealing the ultimate goal of all history. There's that great question of life, right? What am I here on earth for? We are here on earth because we are a part of God's redemptive plan for the whole world we fit into that plan we play an important part in God's plan of redeeming the world Jesus' death on the cross wasn't just about our own personal salvation if that's all that we focus on guess what we are a selfish person Because it's not just about you and it's not just about me. It wasn't just for us to be redeemed, but God's cosmic plan is also redemption of everything, all created beings. The redemption not only of souls, but of his physical creation. God is not just making us new, he's making all things new. And so friends, if you are suffering from sins done to you, or if you are, are, are broken over the barrage of evil in our world and that bothers you so much, if you're worn down from constant division, the hope for all of us is that being made right with Jesus helps us to overcome all of that brokenness. God is putting us back together. Piece by piece. And our salvation comes not in rules, not in political parties or world leaders, but it comes through His church. God's plan is to redeem the world through His people, His body, His flock, His family, called the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is putting us back together. And he's putting the world back together. What a great plan to be a part of, to be invited into. And not only are we included in the plan, but the plan includes making us heirs. That's our, our next blessing. Blessing number seven. We are heirs to a forever kingdom. Verse 11 In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So our inheritance is not only a new heart, a new self, being personally redeemed, but also we inherit the new heavens and the new earth. That's pretty cool, isn't it, to think about? A forever kingdom where we reign forever celebrating King Jesus. In Romans chapter 8, Paul calls us co-heirs with Christ. Jesus is an heir to the Father. But guess what? We are co-heirs. And that's of all that is his forever. This world is not our home. It's not our forever place. Theologian John Scott Uh, Stott put it this way he writes we are told that we shall see God and his Christ and worship him we will be like him we will enjoy perfect fellowship with each other for God's inheritance will not be a little private party for each individual but rather among the saints as we join the great multitude." which no man could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. That's what we're heirs of. That's what we're going to receive. We are heirs. And then our last blessing that we want to look at this morning, blessing number eight, we are sealed. We're sealed. Let's go back. To that guy in the courtyard that we met that slave and as you're talking with him you notice that he's got a tattoo on his neck and so you ask him about his tattoo and he replies you're not from around here are you this is Cornelius's seal you see slaves got tattooed with the family seal of the estate that they are serving that's another image that Paul points to the image of sealing in verse 13 in our text it says and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with a what a seal the promised holy spirit Paul is telling the Ephesians their history as he writes this letter back to these people, so many of them who he had personally led to follow Jesus, he's reminding them who they are, whose they are, what their purpose is. And he's saying to them, remember when I came here and I spoke to you of the the goodness of God in sending Jesus. Do you remember that, Ephesians? Do you remember when I was with you for two and a half years and we talked about Jesus and God's means of rescuing you. Remember that you believed that gospel, that good news. And it was then, when you obeyed, that you were marked with a seal, stamped the Holy Spirit of God. The seal is a mark of ownership. Just like that tattoo on the slave's neck, we are stamped with a seal. God's Holy Spirit. That shows who we belong to now for a paper document you could make a seal with with wax and heat it up and press your family ring crest and and it would leave an indentation when it was dried and that was sealed and it was official the seal marked the ownership or the authorship of the document now that kind of that kind of seal wouldn't work would it for livestock and it wouldn't work with people and so the Romans started branding people, branding them with tattoos, even with hot irons, just like cattle. A brand is also a seal, a mark of ownership. Roman soldiers, when they came into the service of the emperor, they were tattooed, and that became a common mark. Captives and slaves often were branded They didn't just get a tattoo, they got the hot iron treatment. This is the kind of seal that the man in the courtyard had on his body. And so Paul, I want us to understand, is writing to that kind of culture. A culture in which people are literally sealed to show who owns them, who purchased them, and to whom they belong. And Paul is saying, brothers and sisters in Christ, Do you realize that when you came to follow Jesus, that you received God's seal upon your life? And that seal is a promise. That seal is God whispering, you're mine. You are mine, I have adopted you and you are mine. If you're a follower of Jesus today, if you've obeyed the gospel, you are sealed you belong to him we always need to know and believe our true identity in Christ this comes up in all kinds of aspects of our life let's say that you're in a a dating relationship and you thought you were headed toward marriage but then uh, it became very clear that it's not and you feel broken and lonely you know what if you've come to Jesus you need to hear his whisper, you are mine, you're mine. Let's say you're driving down the road on an early fall when the leaves are beginning to change and you're captivated by the, the oranges and the yellows and the reds and something begins to stir in you, something almost transcendent and you know that it was God who made this beautiful place that you're seeing. You know he didn't have to make it that way, but he did. He did. And as creation explodes, you hear him whisper, you are mine, I did this for you. Maybe you find yourself at a funeral. You weren't ready to lose that person in your life. And you're crushed and you're broken. But through your tears and in your grief, you hear that same whisper, you are mine. You're mine, you belong to me. Now this assurance, it doesn't make the sadness go away but it can become a grief with hope rather than a grief with despair. So let's say it together. He adopted me. He paid for me. I am his. Let's say that again. He adopted me. He paid for me. I am his. That is who we are at our core. When we choose to follow Jesus, that becomes our primary identity. Do you understand that? Not your house, not your job, not your kids, not your grandkids, not your bank account. Your primary identity is that you belong to Jesus. And there is freedom in that. Freedom when you understand your true identity as a child of God, when we believe. Who we are in our fundamental core, we are set free. No matter the outside circumstances swirling about in this world, no matter the hardships, no matter the disappointing news, no matter what happens, we belong to him. We're sealed. You know, the years fly by, don't they, as we get older? And I know that someday I'll be going home to be with the one Who adopted me, who paid for me, who owns me. And that is free. You know, it frees it frees us in so many different areas. It frees us to, to spend appropriately. Instead of buying all kinds of junk we don't need to fill a hole, we understand we belong to the king who owns it all. Knowing who you are will free you. It will free you. It will free you to serve. It will free you to obey. This is the transition that takes place when we get to chapter 4 and Paul begins to get into the more of the behavior stuff. But it has to start with this clear understanding of who we are. In verse 1 of chapter 4, Paul says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, isn't that great? He doesn't say that you're going to receive. He says, live a life worthy of the calling you've already received. In other words, act like who you are. Understand your identity and then begin to live that out. And then Paul's ready to to get into the nitty-gritty, the other stuff, and he's going to go after purity and speech and theft and deception and rage and all those other things because he wants the Ephesians to understand if they know who they are, then they will understand whose they are, and that will impact how they behave. And it's the same message for us in the 21st century as it was for the Ephesians in the first century. When we remember that we're loved, we serve differently. When we remember that we're loved, we love differently. When we remember who we are, we give differently. When I find myself in in one of those moments, maybe when I'm buying something I absolutely don't need, and I think, what am I doing here? What am I doing? Ah, the chances are I've forgotten who I am. When I find myself in a conversation and I think, was it really necessary to go there with that person to say that hurtful comment that caused them to say another hurtful comment? And you know what? We understand the chances are we've forgotten who we are. And that's why we got into that conversation. Or when I find my blood boiling over something that's really in the scheme of things trivial, unimportant, and yet it's rising up within me If I could just take a moment to remember who I am and whose I am, I'll feel that anger subside. Remember who I am. Understand the identity. And when we do, we understand the true grace of Jesus Christ. We're free to give love. We're free to bless others. We're free to receive love, free to serve, because God has lavished his mercy in our life. When I remember who I am, I will live differently. That's why the letter to these dear people that we call the Ephesians, many of them who had experienced severe rejection, thrown away as babies, living a life of slavery or prostitution or hardship, People who had been bought like cattle, tattooed and branded. They desperately needed to remember who they belong to. And friends, we need to remember who we are. Knowing our primary identity as sons and daughters of God. And making the blessings that he provides a part of our everyday thinking. Thinking will bring us to that point of freedom where we can say, I belong to Jesus. Let's pray together.